The Holy Gospel for this day comes from John chapter 18. Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, So you are a king? Jesus said, You say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate asked him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no case against him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Creator and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. In a library in Manchester, England, there is an elaborate, temperature-controlled glass display case. And within that case, a smaller glass pane, which holds a scrap of paper about the size of a business card. That fragment is generally accepted to be the oldest surviving piece of the New Testament. Most scholars date it to somewhere in the mid-2nd century. On it happens to be part of the very story we just read. In faded Greek letters on the ancient surface, Pilate and Jesus are arguing about what it means to be a king. And Jesus insists that his work is to witness to the truth. Barely fitting onto the torn and faded fragment is Pilate's question. The piece of the New Testament that has survived the longest through war and weather and the relentless passage of time. From all those years, we still hear Pilate's voice ask us, what is truth? It may be the oldest surviving question of the Old Testament, but it's hardly a question that's stuck in the past. What is truth? What is truth in an age of phrases like fake news and alternative facts? An age when we see the effects of climate change right in front of us every day, and yet official government websites erase every mention of it. When we seem to have lost whatever commitment we had to a common good. When what is true for you and what is true for me are sometimes so different, it feels as if we exist in, in different worlds. Were there, for example, any truths that you felt like you couldn't talk about at the Thanksgiving dinner table because the consequences to family relationships were too high to manage over a cup of coffee and the last slice of pie. But what chance do we have if we can't even ask Pilate's ancient question anymore? Today is an official festival of the church. It's Christ the King Sunday. It's always the last Sunday of the church year before we start over again next week with Advent. Now, the language of kings is not particularly familiar to us in this time and place, and for a variety of reasons, it's maybe not the most helpful. 
But buried in the idea of a king is the reality of power. And power is something we do know about. Power wielded for good and power abused. Power shared generously and power hoarded at all costs. Power which can save lives and power which can kill. We may not have a king, but we know about all of that. We know about power. We see it at work in the world every single day. And so on Christ the King Sunday, we always read a biblical passage or a set of passages which somehow reflects our human struggle with power. Some years, we read a parable Jesus once told about a king who was separating sheep from goats and told them all that any time they feed the hungry or clothe the naked or visit the sick or those who are in prison, they were feeding and clothing and visiting the king. And that when they walked past those folks on the side of the road, they were missing a chance. Other years on this day, we read the story of Jesus' crucifixion, a king who is nailed to a cross, forgiving his own tormentors and being mocked by the ones who are meant to keep law and order. And then sometimes we read the passage we just heard today, Jesus and Pilate arguing about authority and power and how to use it and whether at the end of the day any of this is true. Now alongside those passages, the other things we always read on Christ the King Sunday are some kind of apocalypse readings. So if you thought that perhaps bailing on the gospel reading and trying to find a sermon in something else would make it easier, you are out of luck. <laughs> and yet, this might be exactly what we need. A few weeks ago, I ran across a video on the internet of a pastor in an old historic church sitting amid the stained glass windows and the velvet pews who turned to the camera and said calmly, as a preacher, let me be the first to welcome you to the apocalypse. Pull up a chair and make yourself uncomfortable. <laughs> now, it is not hard to find preachers, videos of preachers talking about the apocalypse on the internet. You only have to look about two minutes to find that. But this preacher is an ELCA Lutheran, much like you and I, and that's a bit more unusual. To be specific, this preacher is Nadia Boltz-Weber, whom you might know from her books or her time as a teacher at Holden Village, or from her work starting a congregation in Denver, or just from me quoting her in sermons. In the video, she continues. She says, if when you think of an apocalypse, you think of a scary, doom-filled punishment from above, you are not alone. Originally, though, Apocalyptic literature existed to proclaim a big, hope-filled truth. Not to scare people into behaving themselves, but to tell you something you need to know, and it is this. Dominant powers are not ultimate powers. Empires fall. Tyrants fade. Systems fail. But God's still around. She reminds us then what the word apocalypse actually means. It means to uncover or peel away or 
expose what's underneath. That means apocalypse is about truth. It's about showing us what's really happening underneath the careful masks we all wear. It's about exposing the things we try to hide, the rot or the fraud or the fear or the injustice behind so much of the way the world works. Nadia Boltz-Weber is exactly right. An apocalypse is a big, hope-filled idea that dominant powers, the things that are in charge right now, the way it is right now, those are not ultimate powers. Empires fall. Tyrants fade. Systems fail. But God's still around. Maybe that was a truth that Pilate didn't really want to face talking to Jesus that day. And it may be something that none of us really want to face when we come down to it. And yet, it's what the king, who shows up in the hungry and the sick and the imprisoned and the poor, is here to tell us. It's what the king, crucified for being a political nuisance, is here to tell us. It's what the king put on trial in front of the whole Roman system is trying to tell us. Dominant powers are not ultimate powers. The way the world is right now is not permanent. It's not forever. It will come to an end. Is that good news or bad news? Well, it depends. Considering how much of our lives and time and energy and bank accounts we've invested in the way things are, it can be a little scary. But it can also be utterly and completely freeing. Because if Jesus is king, then Caesar is not. If Jesus is king, then capitalism is not. If Jesus is king, then white supremacy is not. Your job is not. Family dysfunction is not. Political gridlock is not. If Jesus is king, then the whole world can turn upside down. And if you've ever been stuck at the bottom, there's no news much better than that. So just a few minutes ago, we baptized Brayden into this strange apocalyptic kingdom. We anointed him with a little bit of oil and we called him to give his life for justice and peace. We handed him a candle and remind him, reminded him of the light that he's called to be and the light that God will be for him. We washed him in water and promise. And we watched him squeal with delight at the surprise of getting a bath in front of a couple hundred people he doesn't know. In the face of the dominant powers of this world, what we have just done seems like a fairly foolish thing. We didn't give him any weapons to defend himself in case he's threatened. We don't have any magic to hand him to try to protect him from heartbreak or failure. Candles are e easily extinguished and the water we used was just straight from the tap. There's nothing particularly unusual about it. But we keep doing that 
We keep baptizing one another into this upside-down kingdom because we believe life in that apocalyptic, truth-filled, upside-down place is real. It is true. It is somehow more true and more real than anything else that's sold to us as life. We want Braden to wake up every day and look in the mirror and make the sign of the cross on his forehead and remember that he is a child of God. And so is every person he will meet in his day. It is such a fragile, small thing to do. In the face of everything chaotic and cruel in the world, to splash a little bit of water on our children's heads and tell them that they are loved hardly registers at all on the world's attention scale. But someday Braden will come to us, and it might be you or me. We all promised, after all, to walk this walk with him. He will come to us, and in a small voice, he will ask Pilate's same question. That old question on the papyrus in some library in England, come back to life. Is this true, he'll say. And maybe we won't have all the answers for him. We might still be wondering the same thing ourselves. But we can trace the sign of the cross on his forehead and ours. We can tell him how once we brought him to be bathed in water and washed in promise. We can bring him up with us to a table where everybody gets the same, a little bit of bread and a little bit of wine because God's vision is a world where everyone has enough. And we can tell him stories about a king, a king who embraces children and heals the sick and feeds the hungry and raises the dead who was so committed to love and compassion that he refused to raise a hand even against the ones who would take his life, a king who chose poverty and service and resurrection and love every time. And he will say to us, that's a strange kind of king. And we can say to him, now that is the truth. Thanks be to God. Amen.